Our second scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. May God bless our understanding of this sacred text. And will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The summer I turned 21, I studied abroad in Cuernavaca, Mexico. I spent my weekdays conjugating verbs at the language school and my weekends exploring nearby cities with fellow students. On one of our adventures, we happened upon a sushi restaurant. I had never eaten sushi before, and as I was ready for a midsummer break from beans and cheese, I convinced a friend to join me for the lunch special. To say that I liked that sushi is an understatement. I have this tendency to be a little bit melodramatic about food. When I eat something delicious, I close my eyes and clutch my heart and groan with sheer delight. I was gushing about the tanginess of the pink pickled ginger when my friend, which I feel like you should know, he was a philosophy major, not to cast aspersions on philosophy majors, but it's a relevant detail. My friend rolled his eyes and shook his head. I don't care what my food tastes like, he claimed. Food, for him, was merely fuel. I immediately felt ashamed of myself, ashamed of my pleasure. I felt exposed as an immature hedonist. Now, asceticism is a thing, 
and not just for college kids going through insufferably sanctimonious phases. Most religions have ascetics, men and women who feel called to austerity and celibacy. And while austere and celibate lives can be joyful and fulfilling, there is a persistent stereotype of a certain kind of Christian who is joyless and judgmental, disapproving of anything so frivolous as fun. Last year, while wandering through a vintage shop, I happened upon a print from an 1870 edition of Vanity Fair magazine. It was part of a series called Men of the Day, 1870. It featured a drawing of a morose clergyman along with the caption, he makes religion a tragedy and the movements of his muscles a solemn ceremony. There was absolutely no question in my mind that I had to find a place on my wall for this dour priest. As for me, I would rather religion be a comedy than a tragedy, in the Shakespearean sense. And perhaps the fellow English majors in the congregation recall that what made a play a comedy in William Shakespeare's day was the ending. Tragedies end in death, but comedies end in marriage. And for all our squeamishness with the book of Revelation, the Bible, through the book of Revelation, ends with a wedding image. The church as the bride of Christ, entering into holy and eternal union with her beloved. Furthermore, the movements of my muscles are far from solemn ceremony. I don't have many opportunities to dance these days except for spontaneous dance parties in the living room with my daughters. But last October, when our dear Catherine Price was ordained after 12 long years in seminary, she and Joe hosted a post-ordination party. Catherine had curated the most perfect playlist of all time. A mix of hip-hop and soul songs calibrated to make you kick off your shoes and shake your hips. And shake our hips we did, a circle of women laughing and dancing in joyous celebration. What was most poignant to me, though, was that most of the women in the circle were black, which is to say they were dancing despite the relentless racism they face, despite the fact that they fear whether their sons will return home safely at the end of each day, dancing despite the fact that it should not have been controversial to proclaim that black lives do indeed matter. Perhaps this is hard to believe, but it was actually the infamous Puritan preacher, 
Jonathan Edwards, best known for dangling sinners in the hands of an angry God, Jonathan Edwards claimed that the way to tell a true Christian experience from a counterfeit one is to look for the joy. Look for the joy. Now we have done some hard work this summer, considering the depth and breadth of our calling as Christians. About halfway through the summer, your preachers realized that this was not a typical summer at First Congo, where things feel a little lighter in the pulpit sometimes. We got a little worn out with this series, but the challenge was a good one. And on this last Sunday of our Be the Church series, we are charged to enjoy this life. It is last, but it is not least. Joy is not an afterthought. Joy is part and parcel of a faithful life. Yes, there are seasons for fasting, Times for refraining from small comforts as a means of drawing nearer to the source of everlasting comfort. But we must remember that the fast is ever and always followed by the feast. The fast is what makes the feast taste all the sweeter. We have been given an extraordinary gift, the gift of life, wholehearted and full-bodied pleasure affirms our acceptance of this gift. We have bodies, so let us dance. We have breath, so let us laugh. If we weren't supposed to enjoy the tang of pickled ginger, why on earth would we have such finely tuned taste buds? Here's the thing, though. The charge is not simply to enjoy life. That actually would have been simpler. The charge is to enjoy this life. And that is a different phrase. That little word, this serves as a memento mori. Memento mori is a Latin phrase you may have heard. It translates, remember death. Oftentimes, memento mori are visual. Images of skulls, for instance. They can also be spoken. Consider the words traditionally uttered on Ash Wednesday. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Or that famous line paraphrased from our reading from the book of Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. A memento mori has even been tucked into an illusion in the prayer of discipleship that has grounded our weeks of Be the Church this summer. We've been lifting up our call to enjoy this one wild and precious life. But the Mary Oliver poem from which that line is lifted goes like this. 
Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer. I don't mean to be like that joyless preacher on my office wall, waxing poetic about death on the day we're supposed to be enjoying life. I just think that as Christians, we are invited to trust that there is more, that death does not have the final word. To be sure, the promise of heaven is never intended to be apple pie in the sky, distracting us from the glorious gift of now, the glorious gift of the present moment. Enjoy this life, friends. Do not merely wait around for the next. But we enjoy this life with eyes wide open. We enjoy this life not with our heads in the sand, ignoring the sins of systemic racism or neglecting our responsibility to care for the poor. We enjoy this life not in a frantic attempt to avoid suffering or numb ourselves to pain. We enjoy this life not because we are in denial of reality, but because we have been given evidence of a new reality. It is a new reality that witnesses, that bears witness to the devastation of crucifixion. It is a new reality that emerges from the empty tomb of Easter morning. Because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are invited to a feast everlasting. We are born anew into a life eternal that is no longer subject to decay. We become citizens of a holy kingdom that is unsullied by justice. So tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? We've been invited to do something grand and holy, something profound and purposeful. We have been invited to take our one wild and precious life and offer it back to the one who is the source of that life. We have been invited to be the church, protect the environment, care for the poor, forgive often, reject racism, fight for the powerless, share earthly and spiritual resources, embrace diversity, Love God. Enjoy this life. May it be so. Amen.